If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Penny, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 144 of Classic Conversations, where the conversations aren't just conversations, they're classic. You're welcome. All right, as always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back. This episode, we're heading to the stars. My special guest this week, Peter Macon, actor, Emmy Award winner, and star of one of my favorite shows, The Orville. Peter Macon is, of course, Lieutenant Commander Bordas. You will be silent. You're in for a treat. My conversation with Peter is awesome. We talk about The Orville, his love of the stage, winning an Emmy, and the art of smuggling food in your own concessions into the movie theater. We cover it all. You're going to love it. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. Hopefully you caught, or if you didn't catch it, you'll head over there right after you're done here to my interview with Stuart Pankin. That's right, Stuart Pankin. You loved him as Bob Charles and not necessarily the news. You loved him as Earl Sinclair, the father in Dinosaurs. So many great stories Stuart shared with me, including his work on Curb Your Enthusiasm, working with Mel Brooks, so much all packed into one episode. So check that out. That's episode 142. Episode 143, of course, was a bonus episode featuring live segments from our live show, Crossing the Streams. If you're looking for TV binge-worthy shows, check out the bonus episodes or all the full episodes on our YouTube channel. Great stuff. A lot of people ask, hey, how can I help out the show, Jeff? What can I do to make a difference? And the answer really is follow and download the episodes. Follow me on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and, you know, download weekly, keep up, chat with me on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Love hearing from you. So, you know, that's it. That's simple. It doesn't cost a penny. And, you know, and tell a friend. Tell all your friends, every single one of your friends. Think of a number between one and a thousand. Tell that many friends. That's all. That's it. Easy stuff. Thank you very much. I do want to take a quick second to tell you all about my friend Scott Curtis's podcast. It's called Behind the Bits. It's a podcast about the tragedy and triumph of stand-up comedy. It's a really amazing podcast. Scott has an amazing interview style. He actually won Best Interview Style Podcast in the 2020 Discover Pods Awards. He beat a relatively unknown Dak Shepard from Armchair Expert. Not sure who that is, but I'm going to Google it right after I finish doing this promo. <laughs> if you want to really kind of dive in and learn all about some awesome comedians, Behind the Bits is where you should go. It's a really, really popular destination for all your favorite comedians and maybe some you never heard of, but it's a great way to be introduced to rising talent. 
So definitely check out Behind the Bits podcast. You will not be disappointed. You can find them on the web at thebtbpc.com or, you know, Apple, Google, all your podcasts. Just search Behind the Bits. I do want to take a quick second. Thank everyone for their support of our sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Classic Conversations. And that's how we keep the lights on. I know I usually save my TV binge-watching suggestions for crossing the streams, but I do want to do a shout-out to The Orville, now on Hulu, season one, season two, and the new season, New Horizons, all streaming. Definitely check this out. It's one of the best science fiction shows on now, nay, ever. You're going to love it. From the mind of Seth MacFarlane, it's brilliant. It really is. And it keeps getting better. So you can imagine when I reached out to one of the stars, Peter Macon, and he said he would love to come on the show, I got really, really excited. So I talked to Peter about the Orville, of course, and landing the role of Bordas and winning his Emmy and a ton of other fun stuff that I'm going to share with you right now. Enjoy. All right, everyone. I'm so excited to introduce you to my next guest, actor, Emmy Award winner. Currently starring on one of my favorite shows, The Orville, as Lieutenant Commander Bordas. Welcome to the show, Peter Macon. You will be silent. (laughs) (laughs) That is the greatest line from the almost karaoke moment from Orville. I found like a a petition online. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there's some stuff out there. Which one are you talking about? The petition that, that to get to you to Bordas sing. sing. Uh, they want to hear Bordas sing. Just, just hang on. Just hang on. I'm not, you know. Just hang on. Just hang on. Well, <laughs> yeah, that, that, I'm that, hanging on. Just, you know, no. I just, it's just fun. The stuff you can find when you start digging around. You know, it's like at a change. Yeah. There was a change.org petition to, to try and get Seth's attention wow. to work that. Well, out. none of that goes unnoticed. So I'll just, I'll just say that. Yeah, you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to, uh, it's funny to, to be able to actually see you only because so ingrained the, the boardest character yeah. in my head. Have you had times where people don't realize it's you? Like you're walking around, like even just people you work with. Well, dude, like, uh, early on, I, I, because, you know, because of the prosthetics take, you know, a couple hours to get into. So I'm, I'm, I'm there often before crew is there. Right. So I, I, I get there and I'm at crafty and I'm getting some eggs or oatmeal or whatever and people are like who the hell is this guy and then i open my mouth and like oh wow you're boris i never know i know what you look like so yeah that that happened um even the shooting season three people didn't i'd be around for a costume fitting or or something and just be walking around and i say something be like oh my god it's you i've known all time so yeah they kept they kept me pretty much under wraps no, but it was a funny thing. It's a funny thing. I mean, I was even in a Target one time with my kids, this AT&T representative selling AT&T, whatever, in the electronics section at Target, started talking to her and then, and I, you know, told her my name and she's like, oh my God, you're Bordis. I'm like, whoa, that's, that's, that's impressive. Actually, she knew me by my name, which was, which was interesting, but I've, I've been in the grocery store and people were like, oh my God, Bordis. Brian cantaloupe? No, no. <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that, that's, that goes with the territory of having your big old mug plastered all over the place, uh, but nobody knows what I look like. Does the recognition come from hearing you say something and then they turn and then they kind of put it? Yeah, in- yeah, I kind of have a big voice. So 
when I'm like, how much is this toothpaste? They're like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's fun. It's fun because I, I enjoy my anonymity and it's also really interesting how my cover is blown in the most random, like the DMV or, you know, like <laughs> people were like, I recognize your voice. So yeah, it's fun. It didn't make any sense when I was 15 years old, but it, I've grown into it now. You've grown into <laughs> your voice. Yeah. <laughs> I had to grow into my ears. You can't see them because I got my headphones on. But that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did they get any better in season three, uh, New Horizons, with the time it takes to put on the makeup and stuff? Or? Absolutely. I mean, and that is much to the credit of you know, KMBFX. Shout out to Howard Berger, KMBFX, Garrett Emmel, Tammy Lane, makeup artists who... You know, it was a lot like creating a sculpture every day, like the same sculpture every day. And at the beginning, you know, we were first figuring it out. It took about four hours to get everything right and fitted and painted. And then by the end, we got it put down to like 90, 90 minutes. But that's me also helping them, knowing when I could talk, knowing when I could pick up my phone, knowing when I could be, when I could fall asleep, which is every time. Because <laughs> I'm in there at five in the morning, you know, after a late shoot and have to come back. And it was, uh, you know, like I, I, there's a point where if I start nodding off, they'll put the pillow behind my head and so that they can, so they have a steady canvas, to, you know, to, to work on. But it, it became a flow, man. And it became like, I know I should flare my nostrils when they're putting this part of the application on so that the glue will stick better and hold my nostrils flared for five seconds so the glue will set. And then I can let my nostrils unflare so that like later on, uh, when it gets hot or like, you know, the makeup starts to get hot, that piece of adhesion won't won't come undone because I gave the time. I mean, it's really technical stuff and it was fun to learn how to help them apply the makeup. So, you know, it was a learning curve for the for all of us. But yeah, I mean, I would get in, get the physical pieces on, get them set. And then, you know, they spent about a third of the time getting the applications on. Um, it was like three different pieces and then um, the rest of the time sort of finessing and painting. And so when they get into the finessing and painting, that's when I can nod out and go to sleep. It really is what happens to you when you fall asleep in a makeup trailer. Be warned because you might come out looking like unrecognizable. Does that help you slip into character like more like because you're like. Absolutely. You and what was it? Uh, was it what, what movie was that? Was it David? It was uh, Willem Dafoe in I want to say a David Lynch movie um, where he played like he had like these these prosthetic teeth and he had like anyway. Once you you get in, once the makeup goes on, and and it's again much to the credit of how well this makeup was designed, how well the makeup was designed for me specifically. I look at myself in the mirror and I don't recognize myself at all. You know, there are limitations with, you know, how much I can rotate my neck, which I can turn my head and stuff around. And so that sets physicality just off rip, you know, that, you know, and so, you know, the no neck turn, you know, it's like, I mean, I always pictured if um, Eeyore and Sam the Eagle had a love child, it would be Bordis, you know what I mean? Because, <laughs> you know, Sam the Eagle, he's very, he can't, you know, he's very, right, right, right. you know, and Eeyore's just, you know, in his disposition. But the makeup definitely helped to define the physicality of the the person, which, um, and once your physicality is sort of sketched out, you can kind of map out how this person goes, what their posture is like and what, what their disposition is, if that makes any sense. So yeah, it was extremely helpful. And that's what made it so much, so much fun is to have all of that makeup on. It was not fun when it was hot. And there was one time a bunch of ants crawled into my 
head and um, got sealed inside my head. And that was torture. But for the most part, it was great fun. And it was fun to walk around and forget that I had it on, right? So I, you know, on lunch break, could just take a walk around the lot, you know, just to get some exercise and some fresh air. And, and I'm like, why do people, oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I have this. I'm just, you know, talking on my phone or talking to my kids and FaceTime. And I'm like, why are these people staring at me? Like, oh, that's right. I have this makeup on. Um, and it's weird. Yeah, this is fun. I mean, I love that stuff too. Like Halloween, I've always loved costumes and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it, it made for great hijinks. And, and you know, and then, you, and then you go out and like, I mean, the, the whole episode where I wanted a mustache, like Bordis wants a mustache and you just add that on top of everything else. Then it's like, I'm just having a good time getting doing my best Tom Selleck or my Burt, my best Burt Reynolds, you know, just really kind of just having a laugh with it. It was funny you say that I was going to, I was going to say, I once went as Tom Selleck. He's a Detroit, you know, Detroit guy. Right. So I'm, from yeah. there's, and so I had my whole Tom Selleck I ended up looking more like really a, a 70s porn star with the mustache. <laughs> hey, okay. Not but, too far off the mark. But I remember thinking myself, oh my God, I can't even imagine like having a full, like full prosthetic. I couldn't handle the mustache. I couldn't even like, you couldn't even move because <laughs> yeah. it would like fly off. You know, it's like, right, 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 that. right. that's a really funny episode, by the way. The uh, Yeah, no, it was good fun. It was good fun. I mean, those big thick mustaches are always fun, um, especially on an alien 500 years in the future. Yes. Yeah, it's always, it'll always be funny. It's universally funny. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 it was fun. It was actually funny in season three. They called it back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just last night's episode with the with the beer foam. Right, right, right. Yeah, with yeah, it was yeah, it was fun. Like, which wasn't beer foam, by the way. But um, <laughs> that's another story. But yeah, like one time for Halloween, like I used to work up at the uh, Oregon Shakespeare Festival in uh, Ashland, Oregon. And for those of you who don't know, it's like the the oldest Shakespeare festival in the Western Hemisphere. And it's uh, like they had a great makeup department. But for Halloween in the daytime, I would just wear a track suit and some glasses and a wig and a big, thick mustache. And just like it was the creepiest, most wonderful, perfect costume. Very, very little. You know, and it was just, it was just so great just to be nonchalant and casual and just go in places and, you know, buy a carton of milk and, you know, <laughs> like it changes the meaning of like, why is he buying this milk? I used to work at uh, Little Caesars Pizza yeah. at headquarters. And the, every now and then I got to dress up as the mascot for events. And oh, so wow. I'd be in the costume. I basically won the job because I was yeah. just tall enough. And uh, but it was so fun when people don't know it's you. And you can go around yeah. and you can engage with people. That's that's the mo- that's the closest I've ever come to kind of that. But I, I used to love Halloween also dressing up and yeah, we'll do. So you mentioned the play. You you have a lot of theater background. Yeah. Do you miss the theater? Do you go back to the theater occasionally? I mean, I know the the Orville is a hot gig, but no, I mean, I I I do miss the theater. Um, I haven't done a play since I want to say 2016. I had the uh, opportunity to to do a lot of Shakespeare in like the last play I did was in Dublin at the National Theatre of Ireland. They, um, we did a production of Othello there. And I definitely miss the, uh, I miss the boards a lot. I miss, I miss being on stage. The electric connectivity, the live, it's happening right then. It's there. There's people in the audience, you know, sometimes like you just got to change with the changes and it's great. It's a great proving ground, I think, for actors. I mean, I, Ideally, I would do at least one play a year because I think it's just so incredibly important. Um, and then, behind, then I grew up in the theater, and and it's just there's this it's, it's unlike it's unlike any other experience that you will have as an actor. The preparation and then the go, you know, like eight o'clock curtain. On like you get that seven thirty half an hour, and that's when like 
it's common, you know, and I had, I have rituals, backstage rituals and things that I would do, you know, like the, the best, I think the best time I had on stage to date would be playing Macbeth at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And we did 150 performances. So we ran from, I think, February to late October, early November. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a huge, there's a bunch of fights, but there's a huge fight scene in it. And it's just, it's a dance. And like my, you know, like the, the guy who's playing Macduff, shout out to Kevin Kennerly, is built like a bulldog, you know? So he's like, he's, a, he's probably like six inches shorter than I am, but his neck was probably three inches wider than mine. But so it made for a great dynamic for a fight because, you know, I'm, I'm six feet tall and, and fairly fit. And this guy was five, six and just fit too, but just thick. So his center of gravity is lower. And so the fight choreography was fantastic because in two different dynamically opposed bodies. Um, and we did that 150 times and playing that role, which is, is my favorite, it's my favorite Shakespeare play in the canon. This is so much fun. After like 75 performances, 60 performances, it's muscle memory and it's body and, and the play even opens up more. I mean, it's almost like a, you know, like the Russians, the Russian school of, and I'm speaking gen generically, but Russian school of theater was like you rehearse nine months for you just in it and in it and in it. And so playing Bordas for five years so far is sort of akin to that where you're just like living in the skin of this character for that long and you just find new new discovery new dimensionality but yeah i, I definitely miss miss the stage just because it's just so exciting and it's it's where my heart that's where i fell in love with being an actor came from you know i was watching people on stage sure it's it's a whole different but i do stand-up comedy so it's yeah you get it yeah you know what it is yeah i mean i've done some stand-up too and like that's Ooh, that's that's I mean, yeah, I mean, that's like, I mean, when you're out there by yourself, it's you and the audience and um, it could go horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> All the best stories are the ones that went horribly, horribly wrong. Nobody wants yeah. to hear the stories when it went amazing. <laughs> no, that's just boring, man. But when that's you just, bomb, it's like that's that's the good stuff. That, you is, know? that is the good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. But there is there's that energy where you don't know what's about to happen. You don't know how they're going to react, even though you've done this time and hundreds, if yeah. not, you know, and yeah. like, and it's just like, it's that thrill every single yeah. time. Because it's different ever because you have different sets of different audience, different, different vibration going on. Someone's cell phone rings. You know, I remember I was doing a play, I was doing a production of uh, like, To Kill a Mockingbird. And, you know, I mean, and it's a very, fairly stilted sort of play, like the second act, you know, that's just in the courtroom and you're just, you know, it's playing Tom and I'm on the, I'm on the, I'm in the, the, the witness, I'm on the witness stand and it's a very vulnerable moment. And, you know, I'm in the audience of 700 people and like this, clearly an old person's phone <laughs> rang because, you know, it was the whole, like, oh, don't you try to find out. You know, first it just rang. It's like, oh, it's not my phone. I'm not. Nope. And then, you know, it rang again and then the ring again and like you can hear the frustration in this poor person whose parent whose, whose children probably gave them that phone to keep them safe or whatever to make, make sure they're okay but you know didn't give them a tutorial about how to turn it off in the theater and it's just ringing and i just you just have to you know just sort of wait and be in it and i was like well there's no way you know and this is while it's happening i'm like there's no way that any information that comes out of my mouth as this character is going to land on the audience because everyone's listening to the phone so we got and 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 the cacophony of sounds trying to stifle the phone and stuff like that so i just waited you know what i mean i just stopped talking and it seemed like it was like 10 minutes but it was actually probably less than a minute but you know and then and once and then once the, the phone went silent 
and it started again. The audience erupted in applause, you know, as like this this mutual acknowledgement of like, yeah, that was an event that happened that was awful and it was awkward, but it was also like you handled it because I've 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 barked at people on stage like we're doing another show and uh, it was the kind of play where you could just I just started yelling at the audience, bucket phone off, you know, or what you would just like people were like oh, you know, but it's like you forget. I mean, and I think especially now. You know, since COVID, it's like we're so, um, I don't know, insularized, right? We're so like talking to our computers and having meetings and Zoom talks and stuff like that. We're so desensitized already. Well, we were already desensitized because of, I think, uh, streaming and cell phones, people watching movies on phones, people not really going to to movie theaters. I've thrown a burrito at somebody in a movie theater. <laughs> so, like They were like, you know, they answered their phone in the middle of this movie. And I'm just like, just knee jerk. And I was enjoying that burrito. And I, lit, I just, it was just this reaction of this, like, I just threw the, the burrito over in their direction because they were, you know, talking on the phone in the movie theater. So like, it's just the kind of, I'm just kind of built that way. And it's not always the best uh, example of, uh, you know, patience and coexistence to teach my children, but I'm just kind of wired that way of the for the, the 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 sanctity of the uh, you know the event of like you go to a movie it's an event right I want to I want quiet I don't I don't want to don't, don't ask me any questions you know I want to watch I want to see I want to watch every frame you know I, like when I go to a play I turn my phone off just because I'm just that kind of guy that like oh I didn't know my phone did that when it was still powered up so I just turn it off sometimes I leave the phone in the car you know what I mean just because I just don't you know because it's in a, it's a really sacred kind of like I feel like a little kid and like someone sitting down to tell me a story around a campfire and I just don't want to miss any 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 amount of like any minutia any any nothing so yeah i miss it i miss that space because it's electrifying and it's gratifying and 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 often i had no idea what happened you know what i mean like people are like you were so great you did this that and this and i was like i don't remember because i was just in it you know what i mean actually i know exactly what you mean i after if someone were to say if i were to do 30 minutes of comedy and get off stage and someone says what did you just do i'm like i don't know i i did you remember that joke? I'm like, I kind of, that's why I record everything I do because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so I'm like, you know, I just, it was the moment. And then it, it was almost like, cause you're, it's almost like an out of body experience. It, it is. It is. You're, you're a conduit. You're just channeling, you know, and I watch a lot of stand up too. And you just watch people, you know, they have the jokes. It's everything's written. They've done them before, but it's all, it's about transition and how they get there in their, um, the, the flow of your, your frame of your consciousness is and how, what you're, what you're thinking about, what you're reacting to, and it's all relatable, right? You know what I mean? Like I was watching a, a stand-up comic, I uh, forget who it was, but he was talking about the uh, North Korean army or military and how they like they high step when they march you know what i mean mm -hmm. and he's like what what, what what would happen if that guy was in the hood and he'd be like here comes stepping larry and he was like stepping like that right <laughs> he was walking right <laughs> it was incredibly funny and this is a, a bit that i was watching at probably like four o'clock in the morning like with my friend she was visiting and you know we really funny together same sense of humor and stuff and so she came to the matinee of her beth and at one point just didn't even think about it but there was one point i was walking across the straight stage like stepping larry like walking across the stage like the north korean military just like and and it was only funny to her because like she had made sense because she knew exactly what but it fit into the realm of the character because you know Macbeth is losing his cookies and you know he's going nuts but it was like i just love incorporating all of that live you know synergy it's while it's happening and then it's over long story short i miss i miss being on stage Peter, I have a, a question for you. I want to go a little deeper on one thing. Did the okay. theater itself sell burritos or did you bring a burrito to the theater? 
Um, <laughs> I have been known to not want, I don't agree with snack prices at the movie theater. And it happened if I was catching this movie on my lunch break from something. And there's just nothing like, you know, sneaking food into the theater. And they did not sell burritos. I got it from a taqueria and then jumped. I think I was in San Francisco and I jumped on the train and it was wrapped up in tin foil. It was like pinto beans and carnitas. I'm hungry right now. So I'm hungry too. So that's why I wanted to, I, wanted. Yeah. I was yeah, just curious. I was just curious if you yeah. were packing your own burrito. Though. I'm glad you took the deep dive on that one. Like yeah. that, that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah, no, man. I've smuggled ice cream into theaters. Like, this is nothing. Like, and that comes from my mom, man. Back in the day, she'd take us to the movies and um, she's like, yeah, the, the prices for the popcorn are way too high. So she would literally like make all this popcorn and put it, you know, in the giant mom purse. And like we'd go on in the movie theater and like just pass, take some, pass it down, take some, pass it down. You know, that's how movie theaters make their money. It's like on the snacks. I don't want to die. I don't want to buy $14 popcorn. Sorry. I won't, I won't do it. Just on principle. I'm like, I won't do it. I'm with you a hundred percent. I, we have been known. You got to time it right with the popcorn. Cause otherwise you walk in, it can't still have that popcorn smell. No, that's, that's where you're wrong. Because once you walk into the movie theater, <laughs> that's all you smell anyway. Right. You know what I mean, like you walk into a movie theater, you're like, I am not going to buy any popcorn. I am not going to buy any popcorn. I am not not going to buy any popcorn. You open the door, that popcorn smacks you in the face, that smell, and you're like, and next thing you know, you're in the line. Yeah, I'll take a tub. I know, but you try to be an incognito, like when you're bringing in the contraband, Twizzlers and all that kind of stuff. It's like, because popcorn's like, you're like, oh, go in the winter. It's easy, right? Because you could just. Well, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You can't go in there like in a Speedo and be like, well, you know, have a condition. You know what I mean? So, you know, no, pick your battles. But I'm just saying, like, people that work at movie theaters don't care. They're not paying attention. Like, I what what was it? Shortcuts? It was a three hour long movie. You know that movie with Tom Cruise and like, you know, all like. uh, Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a friend of mine and I bought in like a we bought in like what do you call those things the bottle of wine that like not the leader but I forget what it's called the big anyway it was a long movie and two hours in we're just pulling from the bottle like it's lemonade and then we set the bottle down and it's 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 a late show I think the movie started at like nine you know no one's there there's like 12 people in the movie theater, right and like I think the bottle got kicked and it just rolled mm-hmm. down. <laughs> Oh, that is fun. Shit, I mean, it was, it was this man, it's it a good time. I mean, I, I, you know, I miss going to the movie theater too. But nowadays, you know, we go and see Shrek and stuff like that because I have children. But I'm just saying, that's, there's a way to do things. And yeah, it sounds to- like uh, going to the movies with you, Peter, would be quite a, uh, quite a joy. A <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in LA, I'm giving you a call. All right, so Emmy Award winner. Yeah. That must have been super cool for uh, Animated Tales of the World as narrator. So yeah. you grew into your voice and then it won you an Emmy. Yeah, that was super surreal, dude, because I was, I was in my second year of uh, grad school. And well, it was before my second year of grad school. Like I was in between my first and second year of grad school. Like I went and traveled and I had no money, but I had no business doing it. But I did anyway. I went to Amsterdam and then I went to Ibiza. And, you know, you can pretty much that writes itself. But um, mm-hmm. and then you come back and um, I got this call for this job that I had to turn down earlier years ago because um, I had moved from San Francisco to New York. And when I lived in San Francisco, I got offered this job, but it was non-union, right? So my agents at the time were like, no, you can't do it. But even though it was in this incredible project about John Henry that I, I folklore and I loved, and you know, it was for the part of John Henry. And I was like, man, I really would love to do this to get my voiceover career started. But they were like, no, you can't do it. It's non-union. And so I just let it go. So then cut to like a year and a half later, I went to Spain 
came back from Spain, had no money. And I was in New York. And this is like September 9th, 2001. And got a call on my cell phone, which I could barely afford to have at the time. And they're like, yeah, well, we shot the movie or we shot the, you know, we shot the animation. We filmed everything. And the animator, this guy's name was uh, Andrei Zaludikon. He was a Russian, uh, very impressionistic animation and they said that they learned we don't think that the american audiences are going to be able to understand the story without or or foreign audiences will understand the story without uh, a narration so they added this narration to it they're like would you be willing to come in and record the narration for it and i was dead broke and i'm like i didn't have an agent at the time a voiceover agent i wasn't i was probably in arrears in my union dues (laughs) i was probably kicked Mm -hmm. out of the union at the time i'm like hell yes i'll do it I think I made like $350, recorded it in like two hours the next day and after the call. And then uh, the next day I jumped on the train and went back up to left New York. And then 9-11 happened, like literally like, like it was like on the train and it, it was happening. So it was sort of fortuitous that I got out of there, but I was like right, right downtown uh, recording in New York. Anyway, so cut to then another year and I'm getting up, uh, it's like in the morning, and I get a call from the registrar's office saying that that I uh, had won an award. And I thought it was like my friends pranking me, you know, before I'm going to clown class, which was you know, t- horrifying class for two years. The most humiliating and wonderful class series of classes I've taken in my career. Just devastating. But so I thought they were playing a joke on me. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. So I go to the, call the registrar's office and like, you want an Emmy? I'm like, what? For what? What What have I done? That's like, I'm, I've been in school for, you know, and they're like, well, this, you know, animated tales of the world, HBO. And I was like, oh, that thing? I was like, you can win awards for, and so it was a, it wasn't a primetime Emmy. It was like a creative Emmy, which is still an Emmy. And so they flew me out to LA from New Haven and I got the award and stayed in the Peninsula Hotel. And got this thing. They don't give you a box to carry it. And they either ship it to you or you take it on your own. And so I'm going through the airport and like this little Filipino dude, the security guard, he's like, very sharp. He's like pointing to the the lightning bolt wings on it. And he's like, I don't know if I'm going to let you take this on the plane. I was like, do you want me to check my Emmy? Like, how am I supposed to do this? Like, you know, and so then the whole time on the plane, people are like, what'd you win it for? What'd you win it for? And they're, you know, expecting, you know, I don't know, days of our lives or whatever the hell. And I'm like, yeah, it's the animated tales of the world. It's, it's an animated cartoon that I narrated. And they're like, immediately lose interest. As soon as, you know, like, so it was bittersweet, but it was, it was great. Yeah. That was 20 years ago for crying out loud. But yeah, that, that happened. And then my friends just came over. Well, some friends of my wife, let me be clear. And I was like, is that a Grammy? And I was like, Oh God, you know, so <laughs> super award to win. Um, but I just, I mean, it, it was, it was amazing and sort of unprecedented to win an award like that while still in grad school. And, but I had had a life before grad school. I was working professionally for like 13 years. So maybe it wasn't that big of a deal, but no, it's a huge deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's, I, cool. I think it's awesome. And, uh, yeah, no, it, it an Emmy is an Emmy, you know what I mean? So Definitely dresses up the old uh, defunct fireplace that it's sitting on right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's no, that's oh. awesome. That's awesome. So, all right. So, talk to me about like just getting the role of Bordis, you know, auditioning for Seth MacFarlane. And, and then, because you parlayed that too, they had you on Family Guy. You were on a couple episodes of Family Guy. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it was. Uh, I think it was. Um, you know, just sort of being in the in the camp of Fuzzy Door. You know, like because that came less than a year ago. No, 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 that's not true. It came like a year and a half ago. But yeah, that just they just set this called and asked me. He's like, hey, because uh, the the role of Peter's boss has been voiced. You know, I think Brian Cranston did it, and Carrie Fisher was the last was was his last boss and i think but carrie fisher when she she passed away like you know rest in peace carrie fisher but like he just called and it was like hey uh like and i think this relates to your question in that like they saw i think probably like he said like a hundred hundred people for Bordis, and they looked in new york and they looked in london they looked in you know wherever the hell they looked and i i want to say seth is a Seth is, Seth is a really, he's a really great guy. Um, he's a really great guy to work with, work, work for, you know, I respect him as an artist. Um, I respect him as like, you know, like the boss because he, he's very specific. He works harder than anybody that I have ever seen. And, and I think that my voice helped obviously a great deal to get me this role. And it was like, you know, I had a job already, right? I had this job, you know, cause I was in LA struggling, brand new baby. And I had this job that was supposed to shoot in Botswana. Right. This is just 2017. Right. So this is the you know, COVID is, you know, so people are still doing stuff like this and going to Botswana to shoot movies. But it was for sure, an sure. Amazon series based off of this novel that in hindsight never saw the light of day. Um, but I was like, no, I have a job. I don't want to spoil this. And my manager was like, no, you got to audition for this. And I'm like, no, I got a job. She's like, no, this is Seth MacFarlane. This is going to be a big thing. I'm like, if I mess around and lose this job that I already have trying to get this other job, I'm going to be so mad. She's like, trust me, this will this will be worth it. Trusting, like I've had the same manager for, I think, 19 years. So she's a friend. So I trust her judgment. So, so I was like, okay. You know, and like, and, she, and it was like the first, you know, I'd never, I mean, I'd, I'd been guest star. Um, I'd been like semi quasi reoccurring on a couple of shows, but this was for a series regular. So, you know, there was a whole, you know, and I had, I've, I've tested, I had a test for series regulars uh, stuff before and it's really kind of heartbreaking to get to that stage of it and it comes down between you and three or four other actors and you get that far and you don't get it and it had just happened to me um, with this other show and so I was kind of butthurt about it and I was like I don't want to go through this but she's like it's, it'll be worth it if you get it it'll be a life-changing you know game-changing experience not just monetarily but like but just creatively right and so I read the breakdown and it was like they had to describe, describe the Bordis as like you would describe the thing from Fantastic Four. You know what I mean? Just kind of a big rock built. They didn't really give much to go on, which I think was great because and then, and then because I've got the job. That's why it's great. <laughs> like, you know, I'll be bitching and complaining about it otherwise. Like, they, what kind of information is this? It's not enough information. So I read and that was kind of that. And then a couple of days later, you know, like um, it was actually a week later. You know, and I'm on pens and needles. And I remember because like we had the sort of stall the Botswana job, you know, and not lose it if I didn't get the Orville. And so then they called me for a test and Seth was there, right? And Seth, I don't know if anybody, you know, Seth, you see Seth, you know, when he's like hosting or singing concerts or whatever, and he's all done up. But real Seth, like everyday regular Seth is has a baseball cap on that has Quahog on it. And, mm -hmm. you know, these really thick glasses. You wouldn't even know that it was him. He's just sort of an, and he's just like, not a, like a, a type big personality kind of person. He's just kind of back in the, he's like the drummer, right? He's like in back in, in the cut. And I uh, was producers in the room and, you know, like I did the scene and, and I tried, and this is what's so great. And this is relatable to how we wound up working down the road on material is that like his whole theory is like you, you write something and it's written specifically for this character because it's juxtaposed with other, just think of them as like instruments. So like I'm say a cello, 
right? Bordas is like a cello, and uh, Gordon is like a piccolo, or, or or no, he's like a he's like a, a clarinet, right? And then you have John Lamar, who's like a trombone. And the, so my point is, is like so when I read it. It was a scene about the uh, Bordis goes to Ed Mercer and asks him for paternity leave because he needs to lay an egg. And and that's, you know, huge news. He's like, what, you lay eggs? And I'm like, yes, sir. And he's like, are, the, are they are they are they large? Are they, the, the eggs, are they, are they big? And the line is, they are quite large. Yes. And I was in the audition wanting to make, I wanted to comment on the size of the eggs and how if it's just for people imagining if you're laying an egg, people are going to think, oh, it's coming out of your butt. And if it's a big, large egg, it's probably huge, really painful. And like, you're going to comment on it. And I was still trying to be smart about it, not trying to throw it all away. But he's like, no, the the funny lives. And if you just say it matter of factly, and that was a note that I got in the producer session, which was great. And then I just flipped my whole tactic and just set it flat out. And it was it was really funny like that. So he has an ear for the different elements and that will make something funny. And he's like, don't put a hat on a hat. Don't, don't try to make it funny. Just say it because it's written funny. Not that he was like, don't, don't mess up my shit. It's not, it's funny, but it's like, it's funny the way that it is because it's in an ensemble. It's an ensemble joke, right? Right, you know, right, so right, right. For the whole joke to land, everybody has to play their note. They're staying in their lane. So that was really Really cool to even get an adjustment in the producer session as opposed to, okay, thanks. That was great. I'll see you like that. Our people party, whatever. <laughs> and then that night I was um, at a party and, um, you know, and I'm stressing out and I'm just like, man, you know, I got this baby and my wife and, you know, like and we're living, you know, I just, you know, my family's growing and I don't feel like I support them. But I was at this party and I got a text message from Seth MacFarlane. Like, first of all, how the hell did he get my number? But I was like, oh, he's Seth MacFarlane. He can get anybody's number. And he just, and he texted me and he was like, yeah, I'm so we're so happy to to have you be on board. And I didn't. That's how I found out I got the job. And so he texted me personally, which was which was super dope. I mean, it was just, it was a, it was a life changing experience. And after struggling for so long in uh, theater and struggling financially, this theater you know doesn't you can't you can't pay your student loans off with that money certainly. But it changed a lot. It changed. You know, I was able to do a lot for my family and for my debt. <laughs> which has gone right back up but that's what it is right now you bring burritos to the theater because you choose to not because nah, well that to. was yeah now now <laughs> stealing the burrito and then sneaking into the movie theater on an artist's salary you know still need to be entertained it's, it's cool that he texted you it kind of shows like how he wanted to create that bond right away i it's interesting when you saying that he would looked at so many people for Bordas because your character is one that he uses a lot. You know, he tells a lot of stories and covers a lot of very serious topics mm-hmm. in the Orville. And he uses your character for a lot of that or the, the yeah. whole Mocklin. I'm kind of the heavy. You're kind yeah. of heavy, but then it, balancing the, the, your approach to it is like about a girl. That episode yeah, yeah. is it's brilliant. And it's it's so, you know, you guys uh, male male for those of you who don't watch the Orville. Why are you listening? Because no, <laughs> well, we want them to. We're, we're going to convert. We're going to convert. Okay, okay. Right. So maybe, you know, maybe they missed the, the, the note that it's on Hulu now. And so <laughs> that's that's probably it. Yeah. You know, but it's an all male species and and uh Clyden and Bordis played by Peter have a, a girl a female child which is uh considered a 
an illness, basically. The blight, a blight on the Muckle society. Right. So, so they yeah. got, and just dealing with that, and that becomes a thread, right? I mean, there's it kind of takes through, there's Aftermath in the next episode, Sanctuary takes, you know, continues yeah. that, that story in season two with a uh, planet with all the female Mocklins that is, you know, yeah. have escaped. But it's, yeah. it's interesting too, like, because your character is so progressive your mate Clyden is of old school it just it resonates now I think more than ever with it's yeah. a, a lot of relationships are coming down to you know having to deal with loving the person you love and are close with having a, a completely different ideology as you and dealing with yeah I mean and it speaks again that this is great writing because what that does is okay it's easy to vilify vilify Clyden right because I mean okay, okay let me back up if you're writing a show about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different species of organisms, right? And the planetary union is, for all intents and purposes, a human construct. It's a human collection. It's a human uh, barometer of morality. It's based in that, right? And so then, so we, it's, I mean, and so it's easy to vilify Clyden. But Clyden, you know, as we know, was born female, right? Right. So, I mean, he was an anomaly. So he has a personal you know, he has personal skin in this fight of like what his life was like being born female growing up in an all male world. And so not only that, but he's just 100% Mocklin. You know what I mean? So we can say as human beings from the planet Earth that it's wrong for someone to be born an anomaly. But like Clyden even asked Dr. Finn, in the, and if, if, if your child is born with three legs or something like that, would you... You know, like, I mean, and, and, you know, back in the day, like Greeks, whatever people in societies, even now, like if you're born, you know, if you're born with Down syndrome, or if you're born with, you know, wh whatever defects or like people, physical defects, you know, like they, like Greek mythology was, they were really big on throwing like infants out. Look at Oedipus. He was thrown out into the cold. Anyway, my point is easy to look at Clyden as the bad guy, but he's really just being 100% true to what his world view because of where he grew up and what his world is. And then you look at Bordas being progressive. So what does that mean to be a progressive Mocklin? Well, that means you're alienated from the whole world that you come from. So like there's conflict on both sides, which makes for great, great storytelling, great writing. And it's, and it's a lot of, a lot of uh, layers to play for the actor. And I think that that, and it is just, it presents itself as complex as it should be. It, it's not a two dimensional argument. You know what I mean? It's very personal, you know, it's very gray, right? You know, and, and I feel like people watching the show from the feedback that I got early on, people watching the show thought that it was going to be a big old yuck fest and just jokes and like family guy in space until they go to, until that episode when they go to court and have to go to Mockless to, to fight the system of saying, you know, like to, fight for gender reassignment and then he loses right so you're like right. oh man you know just when you you thought like oh this is going to wrap itself up in a very sort of western happy ending kind of way it doesn't but then what that did was that gave us a springboard for more story to be told and so this season you know new horizons there's like it's not over that whole storyline is not over so i think that and i think that that's just great writing and like you just set yourself up you just keep creating problems that you have to solve but you don't really get the fully solved but like you have to keep at it and that, i think that keeps you know the audience intrigued because it's just not a cut and dry, simple problem. It's messy. And the fact that Clyden and Bordas have to go to therapy, which I think is hilarious. But then you go to that episode uh, with the porn addiction. And like, so you realize that this couple, I mean, it's bittersweet. I mean, it's funny, but it's like painful because the reason why, you know, Bordas 
retreats into this in the simulator world and like his pornographic, you know, whatever his retreats even says it. I've retreated into myself as opposed to trying to is based out of the fundamental stance that these two mates have against what to do with their child. And so that creates this huge wedge and that huge wedge almost kills everybody on the ship, you know, because you get like he got a virus from old unk, you know, gave, right. gave him some dirty porn <laughs> and it like almost destroyed the ship. But that's what I'm saying. It all ties together. And that's what's so great because so much like life, right? You know, one decision you make can have multiple, multiple, like it's choose your own adventure kind of thing. You can have so many different results from you know very simple crossroads. Oh, it's amazing. It's like in About a Girl, when uh, Lamar and uh, Malloy, Scott and Jay Lee, sit you down and as, to watch Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Reindeer. Yeah. Right. And then you, you say later, I have witnessed events that have opened my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's such a brilliant thing. It, and then when you give him the uh, Topa, your son, I was going to, at the end, you give him a, a Rudolph. I was going to say, none of these aren't, they don't have happy endings. They have real endings, I agree. Yeah, they don't, yeah. which I think is what's one of the great things about the show. So in, in About a Girl, he does have the, the gender reassignment. In Primal, the, the episode that dealt with the porn addiction that you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. At the end, one of the consequences is, though you're a hero saving 30 people on a planet that's being destroyed by a son, 45 people die. Yeah. Wasn't full. Oh, oh, we save everyone. No, no. Yeah. No, no. I mean, and that's, I think that that's, I mean, who, I, I don't want to see that because that's not real. You know what I mean? I, I want to see, you know, when you watch a tragedy, the most tragic part about being witness to a tragedy is when the person that's like the person is fighting against the tragedy and they still lose. You right. know what I mean, I think that that lands and that resonates with because it's about the spirit of trying to win. Even if you don't win, you try to win, you know, and I feel like that lands with us. That gives us inspiration to fight, to continue to try to make the world better. Even if you lose, like, you know, no one wants to watch a blubber. No one wants to watch four hours of Hamlet where Hamlet's like doomed the whole time. And, you know, like you want to watch him try to try to win in, and that's, that's what hurts the most. And, you know, like, I think that's, what's great about this show is that it's not trying to be tidy like that. It's keeping the mirror up to our face because then you don't get to be so apathetic. You don't get to be like, oh, they fixed it all in the future. Space is great. Fact of the matter is a lot of people are going to die horribly going to Mars, trying to get to, you know what I mean? And that's just real. You know, like a lot of people have died horribly in the pursuit of space chase, but and a lot of people die horribly senseless, senselessly, like for no reason, you know, that's just, that's real. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of beauty and there's a lot of great things in life, but let us not pretend that life doesn't have like the, you know, with the balance, you know what I mean? It's the age old, you know, Lucifer and Christ, you know, like the whole, you can't have one without the other. Exactly. Um, there's there's something about it that makes it, you want to keep watching because it doesn't wrap yeah. up. It's not the love yeah. boat. It doesn't wrap up tidy at the end and everyone. As much as I love the love boat, don't get me wrong. Okay. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect to the love boat. No disrespect to the love boat because which I, I really love. I know we're oh, running out of time, but I did want to bring up one thing real quick. Go for it. I know in see, the New Horizons season yeah. three, episode four that just came out. Yeah. Your character maybe wasn't one of the main characters in this particular episode. You did yeah. have one of the greatest cut oh. to scenes. I wonder ever. if you it, the, where uh, Scott Grimes is flipping, flipping that the helix <laughs> and, and the helix and they cut to you and you're yeah. trying not to puke. Yeah. It was dude. so subtle, so fast, but yeah. it was just, it was just like, it just, yeah. it goes to like how well you've in the, even that much prosthetics and everything like that. You've yeah. kind of embodied this character and you can really, everything comes through. You don't even, dude. you don't look at some of some characters, you know, oh, okay. Press, you know, you've, maybe yeah, yeah, it yeah. seems a little more, but like, um, 
but your yours it's just like wow you know it's so well, it's just so cool so anyway thank you for mentioning that because i watched it last night and i had forgotten about it and um and i remember when we were shooting it like i had I thought about it a lot because you it's it's like you said it's very fast and happens very quick in the midst of all this chaos and like i understood what the editor was tom constantino shout out to tom trying to to, to achieve with that little break moment because it's like you want to keep like again, it's like that trying to achieve that balance of comedy and drama. And like I didn't, you can't, you didn't, I didn't want to overdo it. I didn't want to underdo it. It was like one of those things. And I only had like a couple of uh couple of takes, a couple of shots at it. I think I did it like three different ways, you know, but like they were still super efficient in like because I knew that it was just like one moment, cut to flash away, cut away. I, I watched that last night and I was like, <laughs> I laughed out loud. Because I was like, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. It was perfect. It was, it was just so it was like so subtle, so perfect. It was everything. Yeah. Uh, the nine to good. five battle scene where they play Dolly Parton was another one where I was just like, damn, this is brilliant. How does, how does Dude, he even come up with this stuff? I know, man, just take a walk in Seth's mind and just you wait. I hope that we can have another chat after everything has aired because all of the things you're touching on seeds get planted and it'll make like the, the, the Dolly Parton, like who has a six minute space battle with Dolly Parton? Nine to five is the soundtrack. That's just like, that's just the end of like the so diametrically opposed. Like that is just, that's some good shit. Like, I mean, that is like, that's like, it doesn't get any better than that. Like where you just have like the juxtaposition of those two things. That's freaking sets mind, man. I mean, and like, I'd be so lucky. To, I mean, we're so lucky to have that kind of mind operating out there. Like, you know, like the stuff he's doing with Ted right now and like Family Guy, American Dad. It's just like it, the, that contribution to the zeitgeist of what's happening. We are very, very fortunate to have. He's such a smarty pants. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and yeah, it's just so fun. And I talking about this right now, I just, I just miss, I really miss working on the show. So I, I hope that there's more to come but yeah just because it was just so just in the pocket in that zone yeah you just wait i hope that we can have a chat when I mean, all is said and done because now because then everything we can talk about everything you know what i mean because there's, there's stuff i can't talk about obviously and don't want to spoil or get sued um so like but yeah it'd be fun to have a chat yeah um, we'll do that absolutely well i know you gotta go i know you got stuff to do um, but i thank you for spending so much time with me it was yeah man and thank you for having me and for sure let's let's circle back because i feel like this is like um, this would be a great, for people who are listening, a great way to bookend everything that we're talking about, unless Putin is, you know, no, let's not make that joke. That's not funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> stop myself. With If barring any cataclysmic events, let us reconvene uh, down the road after everything is aired, and then we can really, really, really talk about everything. Because um, I think that'd be uh, a, a great treat for, for people who are listening to list, to get the bookend. Absolutely. Give me a Cholula and then a Chaluga and uh, we'll, we'll be out of here. <laughs> Chaluga. What's a ch that sounds like a loogie. Chalo like, uh, when you were urinating. That's right. Chaloja? Oh, Chaloja. Oh. Give me a Chaloja. <laughs> what if I said Chaluga? <laughs> uh, cut, cut. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, it's Jaloja. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will give you a you will be silent is what you get from that from pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I try. I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. <laughs> a corner piece of cake. We'll call it. We'll call it square. Call it square. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Right, I really dude. appreciate you. Thanks. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. How amazing was Peter Macon? And yes, I know I screwed up and I said the Mocklin word wrong. Right to Peter. Can't see my face because it's audio, but it went all red. I was so excited, but I I just I can't pronounce 
Machlin. It's just one of those things. I can't trill an R either. So, you know, so, you know, I tried, I tried, right. And that's, that's really what it's all about. So yes, I was embarrassed, but Hey, life happens. It was still an amazing conversation just cause I blew it at literally the last second. <laughs> hey, that's life. You got to own it. Anyway, Peter Macon, how amazing was that? Great stories. He's so amazing as Lieutenant Commander Bordas. The shows that have aired since the interview just showcase his amazingness and the show's amazingness even more. No spoilers here. Check out Peter on the Orville. All right, well, with the interview over, that can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at hashtag roundup. Follow us on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Download the free, always free hashtag roundup app at the iTunes app store or Google Play store. Tweet along with us. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Classic Conversations. Fame and fortune await you. Today's hashtag, inspired by my guest and his amazing role on the sci-fi show, The Orville. We have hashtag sci-fi dad jokes brought to us by Sci-Fi Tags, a weekly game on hashtag roundup. Take a dad joke. And give it a science fiction spin and you get hashtag sci-fi dad jokes. Here's some hilarious ones. What's the most popular sci-fi song in 2001? You can call me Hal. Okay, we get it. It's a dad joke. Stand down. What is Han Solo's favorite type of granola bar? Chewy. All right, this is going to take forever. We get it. They're dad jokes. What are glasses called on planet Vulcan? Spocticles. Why did Spock go mining for gold? He wanted to live long and prospect. <laughs> Drums and crickets? Now you're just being mean. Tuscan Raider? I hardly knew her. If the Silver Surfer and Iron Man team up, they'd be alloys. Darth Vader is the worst dad. Hands down. What do the Enterprise and toilet paper have in common? They both circle Uranus and look for Klingons. Oh, the sound effects are back. All right, I hope you're enjoying these hashtag sci-fi dad jokes because they're the daddy-ish. Daddy-licious? Most daddy? All right, here's some more. Obi-Wan Kenobi opened a dispensary called The High Ground. Our final hashtag sci-fi dad joke. With great power comes great electricity bill. All right, I, th- I kind of feel like you were mocking me there. All right, we're done. No more dad jokes. Love the hashtag. Got to move away from the dad jokes, though. All right, well, with the hashtag game over and the interview over, it can only mean one thing. Oh, my goodness. Episode 144 has come to a close. Can you believe it? All the fun we were having. Boom, it's over. But don't worry, we got more episodes coming. And if you're not caught up, you got plenty you can do. I want to thank my special guest, Peter Macon. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. 
Thanks in advance for spreading the word. And we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations.